Welcome to the Real Estate Hustle Podcast. My name is Andre Chin, broker owner, real estate investor, mega agent, and real estate coach. We're going to be tackling all things real estate, bringing you guests from all across North America, mega agents, mega teams, and we're going to be diving deep into their businesses to figure out how they got to where they are and how they consistently bring that hustle into their business every single day. Buckle up, our podcast starts now. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Real Estate Hustle podcast. We've got an incredible guest, surprise guest for you guys today, Clint Pulver. Clint's a, a phenomenal human being and I'm so happy to have him here. We met, um, it would have been about four or five years ago now at Coaching Skills Camp with Diana Kokoska. And if you haven't seen Clint yet, this is going to be absolutely mind-blowing. He does a number of different things within business, and I'm just so happy to kind of get to know you a bit more, Clint, and share your story with the, the rest of the world. So thank you for being here. I'm honored. Thanks for having me on the show. So, you know, I've heard this story a, a million and one times, and I, I would love to hear it again, but I mean, you've kind of had a really unconventional way of getting to the success that you've gotten today. And, and drums have been a big part of your life, but, um, you know, share with our listeners kind of your journey and, and how you kind of got here. Yeah. I was the kid in school that always just had a hard time sitting still. I still have a hard time sitting still. Uh, I would sit in class and I would just move. I, I would tap, my right hand would go, my foot would go, my left hand. I just, I could not sit still. And obviously, if you're in a meeting and someone's clicking their pen or they're tapping their foot, you're like, for all that is sacred and holy, stop. Just stop. Stop tapping. And I got called the twitcher. I got nicknamed the tapper because I just couldn't sit still. And it wasn't even just the kids. Even the teachers would constantly say, young man, sit on your hands. Kid, stop tapping. Kid, I need you to hold still. And it happened again and again and again until one day uh, I had a teacher named Mr. Jensen who looked at me as I was tapping in his class and he said, young man in the back, he said, I need to, I need to speak to you. We're going to have a conversation after class. And I remember thinking like, ah, oh, this is, I'm hosed. Like, this is it. I'm getting kicked out of school as a 10 year old. You do not want to stay after class. All the other kids are like, oh, you are dead. And the bell rings, class dismissed. Everybody leaves. It's a completely empty room minus me and Mr. Jensen pulls me to the back, sits me down, and he says, listen, you're kind of the kid that's on the list. Like, you're the kid that everybody talks about. I know you get teased. I know you get bullied. All the other teachers talk about you. You're the kid that taps. You tap in my class, and you tap in everybody else's. He said, but I, I've, I've just I've taken a moment, and I've watched you. And he said, it, it, it's crazy. He said, you'll take a pen, and you'll start writing with your right hand, and then you'll tap with your left hand. And then he said, and then you'll switch the pen. He said, then you'll start writing with your left hand and you'll tap with your right hand. And he looked at me and he said, I, I think you're ambidextrous. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm Presbyterian. <laughs> he said, no. <laughs> He's like, that's not what this means. No. He said, can you, can you tap your head and rub your belly? And I was like, yeah, I, I could do that. And he said, okay, switch it. Can you rub your head and then tap your belly? And back and forth without thinking about it, I could do it. And he sat back in his chair and he smiled and he looked at me and he said, I don't think you're a problem. I just think you're a drummer. And, you know, I, I've always been the person that believes in the power of moments. I think moments play an integral part in, in our life story. It, it's, it's all around us in business. It's around us in our homes and our relationships. 
we do not remember days, we remember moments. And in this moment, Mr. Jensen, the old teacher, he leans back in his desk and he opened up the top drawer and he reached inside and he took out my very first pair of drumsticks, my very first pair. And he put them in my hands and he said, Clint, these are for you. And I have no idea what's gonna happen, uh, but I just want you to keep them in your hands as much as you can. And that was 23 years ago. And I can sit here today and honestly tell you and everyone listening that 23 years ago to literally this exact moment, this day, I, I have tried my best to keep my promise to Mr. Jensen. And for those 23 years, I've had the opportunity to tour and record all over the world as a professional drummer. I've been on America's Got Talent. I've played with Carrie Underwood, Tim McGraw, the Blue Man Group. Um, I coached the, the Utah Jazz NBA drumline for seven years. I, my whole college education was paid for because of music scholarships. And I don't say all that to go, oh, wow, good for you, or you know, what a list of accolades. I say that because of one person. One person who decided to see the opportunity instead of the problem. And it really laid the foundation for the rest of my life story. That's, that's incredible. And, and I get goosebumps every time I hear that story. It's, it's been great. And the first time I heard it, you know, I remember, I remember feeling my, my version of that story. And, and for me, her name was Miss, Mrs. Thompson. And uh, she was my grade six uh, elementary school teacher. It was very, very similar. I mean, I had, um, I, I don't know that I was drummer, but I, I was diagnosed ADHD. So I was, I was the problem child, right? I was that yeah, kid yeah, yeah. that just constantly kept getting into trouble. And uh, in addition to that, I was also smart. So here I am in, in grade six, everybody else is 10 and I'm eight because I had skipped a couple grades and, and done all that stuff. And so I just didn't even fit in at all. And, and she took me under her wing and, um, you know, I, I get made fun of for this a lot, but she found me, what she found for me was if you gave me jobs to do, I would focus on that job. So mm -hmm. she would give me little things like, you know, hey, Andre, we've got a couple of fans in the classroom. Um, I'm going to make you the, the fan guy. And I was like, oh my God, what does that mean? Right. And I, I'm, I'm all excited. That's amazing. Up, right. She's like, yeah, you're just going to make sure that everyone's cool. That's your only. So, so I'm, you know, I turned that into bringing water into class, and then it, it became this whole thing. But it gave me a purpose. It gave me a passion that I could I could do. And you said something to me um, when we were in Atlanta together, and and you said, um, you know, your goal has always kind of been to find that one, right? You know, your you had someone believe in you, and you wanted to do that for somebody else. And I remember thinking hard on that for for a couple of days, and you know, being around Diana and and what we were going through and it, it just kind of dawned on me like what a great goal to have what a simple goal to have you don't know who it's going to be and you're going to help and change a lot of lives along the way but you're looking for that kind of that one next clint that you're going to change their lives and i don't know if you found it yet which is, is kind of why i brought it up um but it, it really resonated with me the power of those moments, like you mentioned, the power of changing someone's life, the power of, um, you know, setting someone on the right course. Because for me, with Miss Thompson, what had actually ended up happening is going from grade six to grade seven, we had a, a standardized testing. I wasn't born in North America, I was born in Jamaica. So we had a standardized test that you could only take if you were 10 years old. And so here I am, one of the smartest kids in this class, being told that I'm not even allowed 
to take this test. I can't move forward. I can't go, go forward with my friends. I'm going to lose everybody. And she went and advocated for me and I was able to take the test and I aced it. It, it still didn't work out well because the, the, the higher ups that B still came back and said, yeah, he's got one of the top scores and he should be moving on, but we can't move. He's too young. We can't move him forward. So I was, I was disappointed However, she fought for me and I got another year in her classroom where she had me under her wing because it, she was so important to me that she felt like, hey, if I let him go and, and he ends up with somebody else, this is it. Like, he is going to turn into that problem child and, uh, and, and who knows what his future is going to be. So I actually hold her really dear. Ms. Thompson, if you're listening, thank you for, for that opportunity because that's how simple it is, right? Like when you live your life that way, you never know who's whose future you're going to change. So thank you for sharing your story and, and hey, allowing me to share mine back. You're welcome. You're welcome. Isn't it interesting that you never forget those ones, right? We never forget the good ones. Yeah. And it really is the difference between success and significance. I think sometimes we get so caught up in the success, you know, the wealth, the fame, the popularity, the prestige, the, 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 the quantity. We have such a, a drive to scale our lives even scale our business. But when it comes down to, you know, at the end of our lives, I think we'll be surrounded by two things. We'll be surrounded by the woulda, shoulda, couldas, or we'll be surrounded by the do it, did it, done it. And there's a difference between success and there's a difference between significance. You know, if I were to ask you, you know, could you tell me who the last three NFL MVPs were? Uh, I could probably give you Tom Brady. That's about yeah, everyone's like, yeah, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. <laughs> Easy one, right? We, we know uh, Tom does a lot of stuff. <laughs> okay, let's try, let's try another one. Uh, could you tell me who the last two Academy Award winners were for Best Actor? No idea. Or what about this? This is a good one. Uh, who are, just give me two on this, uh, or even one. Who's the last Miss America? What was her name? No clue. What state is she from? Yeah. No clue. Yeah. No, no clue. No clue. But yet yeah, that is what many people would deem to be Fame, prestige, popularity, money, wealth, you know, the NFL, right? Uh, the Academy Awards, yeah. great actors, millionaires. Like they have millions of followers uh, in, in every way. Again, they would be deemed successful. Yeah. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody. And, and there are a few, right, that would be new, one or two. But for the most part, we don't know. But watch this. If I were to ask you to tell me the name, like you already have, of the teacher that's made a difference in your life. You know, one, two, three, maybe four, and you instantly know who they are. Yeah. Or, or tell, me, tell me the name of one of the greatest mentors in KW for you. Who has been that person for you? No question, it's, it's my coach, Craig Zuber. Exactly. Like you instantly know those people. Why? Because they were significant in your life, not just successful. They were the people that got to the part about you. They were the people that communicated your potential, your worth. It really is salesmanship 101. It's influence 101. That's how Mr. Jensen became legendary in my life, not just a teacher. Right. There's a big difference. And when we strive to do that, to get to the part about people, I think everybody, everybody wants to be seen. We all want to be heard. We all want to be understood. But there's a fourth piece that I always add to this. People want to know that you're with them. Are you with me? Are you for me? Are you an advocate? Are you someone that really is going to be there and vouch for me? Do you care about my dreams and goals? 
Let me know when it gets to the part about me. And when we can do that, you become that significant role. You become unforgettable. Wow. You become a Mr. Jensen. Wow. So, so who, when you look at it and, and, you know, for, again, for those listening, I mean, you're doing motivational speaking, you've got a couple other businesses that you're, you're a part of and, and are you still drumming for anyone or is it just now for, for yourself? Yeah, so now I just am an independent drummer and, and travel around the, the world delivering keynote addresses. Yeah. So I don't have time to dedicate to a group because I'm on the road so much, but uh, I do miss that. I miss that aspect. It's fun to be in a group and to you know, tour around and play and you know, do music. Uh, but, but right now it's, it's full independent drumming. Well, and, and, and you're recently, I mean, you're, you're married, you've got kids now. So, you know, that congratulations. I don't know if I've, I've chatted with you since all of that. Thank you. Happened. Thank so, you. So congrats. That's what's fatherhood like, like now that you've, you've stepped into to the other side of the world, what's that like for your journey? It's incredible. And also exhausting. <laughs> uh, we have two, two, two little ones under two. And we just recently launched the book. So that's our third child. That's what we're calling that. Uh, so it has been, it's been a lot. And I'm not everyone to, to just sugarcoat it and say everything's sunshine and rainbows. It's hard, you know, sleep training the little ones. And, and my wife is doing a show right now. She's the, t the talented one in the relationship. She's doing um, Guys and Dolls. She's a performer, actress, singer, vocalist. Very talented. So she's doing a show as well. So our life is it's it is it is busy, um, and yeah, having two little ones and making sure that we we slow down and we create moments for them. I think that's been the biggest thing is I've recognized how important moments have been in my life, and that's been one of my big goals as a father, is to create those moments for my kids. You know, to make sure that I am the person that when I'm around my kids go, I like myself best because I'm with you. That's you know. I think it's important that, you know, I've just always tried to think, you know, how do people experience me? And how do they experience themselves when they're with me? And for my kids, I, I really, I want them to feel the magic. I want them to have those, those moments and uh, to be that present father. And, you know, and that's way easier said than done. Yeah. Uh, so, but well, it, it, it's been incredible. You know, and, and, kudos kudos to you i mean it, it can't be easy and we get a lot of a lot of realtors a lot of investors a lot of different business people that that are listening to our show and you know we, i hear that a lot as in, in my role you know as a coach as well i hear that a lot like there's just not enough time and i got a family and i got this and i got that and and you both are juggling these high-powered careers with two little ones so so how are you managing that like what what sort of tools are you putting in place to to make sure that you're creating those moments um, or is it, you know, the typical thing I teach is, you know, when you book the calendar, you, you book your family first and then work second. Um, what, what are your strategies? Yeah. So my wife and I, every, every Sunday night, uh, we plan the week. We have to, if we don't, we die. <laughs> we do not survive. She's got her schedule. I've got mine. We've got the kids schedules. Um, I've got keynotes in between. I'm traveling all over the world. She's got shows and rehearsals. We've got our little ones. Uh, so, so really planning is, is key. But I would also say this. I think sometimes we're really quick to create the to-do lists. What are the things we need to do this week? What are the things we need to get done? And one of the greatest things that we have done in our relationship and in our business is we have created a to-don't list. 
a to don't list. I think we're really good at, you know, again, we, we know what we need to do, right? Most people listening to this, if you're in real estate, you know what you need to do. You, you, you know, like, you know, like, okay, I've got to make X amount of sales. I need to get out. I need to hustle. I need to market. I need to, you know, those things, but the greatest real estate agents, the, the greatest parents, the greatest leaders, they know what they need to stop doing. And we have, we have gotten really good at creating boundaries. Like one thing we said after this book launch, after the book launched, uh, it was, we, we had to stop a lot of stuff. Um, I only do, I only do a podcast and recordings now on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Like that's an example of one thing that we said, no, it's no more on Monday, no more Tuesday, no more Friday, it's just Wednesday and Thursday. So we had to stop a few things. So we created boundaries and parameters that would allow us to give more. And it's even, you know, it's even as simple as, okay, what do you do in the morning when you wake up? You know, most of the time, most people would reach over and you grab your phone. You pick up your phone and you, you start scrolling through, check out your emails, you know, maybe check out Facebook, Instagram, look at your calendar, or do you turn over to the person next to you and kiss them good morning and tell them how much you love them? Right? Like, like it's a little thing, right? But it's a boundary and it's being aware of, okay, what do I need to stop doing so that I can do more of what really matters? Uh, one thing I've learned, <laughs> marriage is grand but divorce is about a hundred grand. <laughs> uh, no truer words have been spoken ever. And I think, you know, you know, having a, a thriving business is wonderful. Having scalability and multiple investments and killing it here and, and, you know, ultimate success. Like that's great. But, but at what cost? And, and that's different for everybody. And there's no simple right answer, but I do believe in what Da Vinci said when he said that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Get good at figuring out your to don't list and in doing so, that's how you create greater connection moments and ultimately a life of significance. If you're always living in tomorrow, you're gonna have a lot of forgetful yesterdays. Huh, that's a big one. And, and I love the, the, the to don't list, right? I mean, when you say, I open my eyes and the first thing I do is say good morning to my wife. I, you know, I look over as opposed to you're right. I think most people do turn over, grab the phone. Oh my God, what's going on? And, and they're scrolling and they're swiping and they're responding. And um, you know, by the time they leave in the morning to, to, to go out the front door, they don't even remember if they did say good morning to their partner or, or, or kiss them. And, you know, it was something that I did um, probably about, about three years ago where I realized the same thing, you know, I, I forget who said it, it might have been Simon Sinek who, who has said it, but there's, there's X amount of data that when we open our eyes that we're inundated with, and I think the phone was a big part of it, and it was like all these bits of data that we were taking in the second we opened our eyes, and what it was doing to society, and the anxiety that it was causing people, and the depression, and the this, and all that, that, that it was actually hurting people, and, you know, I, I just set a boundary, I said, you know what, I don't look at my phone before eight o'clock, I'm just not going to, it, yep. it, it's in the pocket, it's in the hip, it's wherever, but I'm just not going to open it. I'm not going to look at it. And an iPhone has this new thing now where you can do that. You can, you can turn the do not disturb on. So it won't deliver anything 
until until 8 a.m. And it's done wonders in my life. I mean, I don't get into the car feeling stressed. I don't I don't feel any of that. I'm usually to the office by about eight anyway. And so that time, that time with my kids, it's uninterrupted time. Right. We're, we're talking about whatever, you know, baby shark or this or that, which, by the way, I mean, if you've got a two year old, you're probably right in there as well with with all of that fun stuff. And but that time, that quality time is so much more valuable than, you know, staring at your phone while your kids here trying to get your attention. And mm. I, I found it's also helped the people around me also be less anxious right? Like my kids aren't pulling at me. They're they're not doing any of that stuff because they know, Hey, he's present. He's here. Yes. Yes. And And my mentor said that to me, he said, Hey, you could spend eight hours a day with your kid, but if you're on the, if you're on your phone, you didn't spend any time with them. That's right. Alternatively, you could just give them one hour out of that eight uninterrupted. And that'd be way more valuable to them than what you're doing right now. And it, it blew my mind. I didn't believe it. I was like, ah, you're full of it, whatever, whatever, it's fine. But then I started noticing it in my kids that they were pulling for attention. They were pulling for that energy. And so, you know, this thing here, it just, it just sometimes it just goes away. Yep. Yep. And that's a perfect example. That's one thing, you know, that's the to don't list and it takes time. And I know a lot of people are like, well, you don't know my life and you know, <laughs> the hustle I'm in and what we're trying to do. And there are seasons. I, I do want to acknowledge that too. Like there are seasons where I am extremely busy, where I'm gone a lot. Like there are demands and there are those times where the gas pedal is on the floor. Like I'm pushing. But then I think it's, again, it's that balance of remembering that, okay, but then there's those times where I just need a light, a little light pressure. There's seasons in business and, uh, you know, it comes down to communication. It comes down to being aware of it and being willing to, to make the change. Cause there's a lot of times you can just get in that hustle and we're, we're in this world, right? And you're many of your listeners in the world of real estate where you could work 80 hours a week, every week, no problem. All of you, you can never shut it off. Yep. And so there just, there will come a time again, I think if, if, if we want to create moments and relationships and connection and a life of not a, a lot of uh, woulda, shoulda, couldas, then, we got to figure out some things that have got, that have got to stop. Yeah. It's just a part of it. No. And and I agree with that. And, and, you know, simple, simply said as well, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're going to have those moments you pull hard in a, in a business and then you have those moments you're just going to pull hard in your family and, but but being open and communicating. And it's, it's crazy to me in this world that we live in where we have so many ways to communicate, right? We can text, Instagram, email, phone call, all these ways to stay connected and we as a society suck at it. Yep. We are terrible at, at actually saying what it is we need from our partners, our friends, our spouses, our employers, whoever, and just having a, a candid conversation. And, you know, I'll never, you know, we talk about moments to start this and I'll never forget my dad, my dad saying this to me when I was, I was 13 and uh, we were coming to, we were coming to Canada. And it was like this big deal, right? Like we're, we're leaving the islands and I'm going, why are we doing this? Like it's sunshine and beaches and the best food in the world. Like, why would we go to the winter? And he goes for opportunity. And he said, the one ask I'm going to ask you is always, always, always be true to who you are, but serve the people around you. Yeah. I'm 13. Like, okay, dad. <laughs> I had no idea at the time what it meant. And, and years later, um, it took me some time to kind of figure that out. And, and, you know, 
one of the things I try to consistently do is, is just, just say it, right. Just communicate, ask for what you need. Yeah. And, and life becomes easier when you do that. One thing too, that I would maybe be worth mentioning is, so my background as the undercover millennial, and I, I've gone undercover into hundreds of organizations. I've interviewed over 10,000 employees undercover and employees spell mentorship T-I-M-E. Granted, they can't spell that well, but that's how they spell it, right? Time, this ability to connect, where I feel like my boss hears me, they see me, they advocate for me. I, I do have a relationship with this person. They're not just the, the, someone that sits behind a desk and barks orders. And what we saw that so many, many great leaders did is they conducted what was called a status interview. And this is really, really important to, to know. And I think it's great in salesmanship. It's great whether you're making an investment or an investment in yourself, property, real estate, a relationship. And checking the status of other people is critical because every person in a relationship is asking you this question. Let me know when it gets to the part about me. Let me know when your agenda and, and your work schedule let me know when your, 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 your mission statement, let, let me know when your sales quota gets to the part about me. Okay, team members are feeling this way, uh, coworkers, spouses, parents, kids, it's all universal. Think about it. If, if you were to check the status of your wife, if you could really understand what she really felt and really was hearing and really was thinking, most husbands, I think have no idea when they're doing poorly. <laughs> like they don't know, right? Because there's not a lot of incentive for, you know, <laughs> know. for people to just like speak their truth. Like you suck at this husband. I hope you know that like, I hate it when you do this. Like they're just not gonna say that. Like we do sometimes, right? Sometimes it gets so heated to the point where it's just like guns are slinging and you're, you're, there's no hold back and it's chaos. But for the most part, like, we just kind of keep it in. And there's a lot of things that we wish our spouse would do, or we wish there was a lot of things that would change. So one thing I would recommend is conducting what I call a status interview. And the status interview consists of three questions. This is something you can ask your employees. It could be something you could ask your kids, something you could ask your partner. It could be, it's universal. So as I'm saying this, take it for what you will and make it in a way that, that's applicable to your life. Question number one is this, what can I do to keep you here? Think about it, if you, went, if you, sat, if you sat down with dinner with your, with your sweetheart and you said, honey, I just wanna know what I can do to just keep you in our relationship. I know it's like a weird question, but I just, what can I do to keep you here? And she's gonna be like, well, you've never asked me this before. What are you talking about? I've got a laundry list of 50,000 things. Where do you want me to start? <laughs> And then the qu question number two is what's getting in the way of your happiness? What's getting in the way of your success in the home, at work, in our family? Dad, it's because you just constantly micromanage everything I do. Dad, you constantly take away my phone. You constantly belittle me. You constantly tell me the things I can't do. You don't, do, you, do you know those things? Like, ask them. And then the third question is, how can I help you get there? How can I help you to become more happy? How can I help you to become more successful in the home? How can I help you to get to where you wanna go in your job? Those three questions. I have seen this countless times, hundreds of times, 
in organizations specifically, because that's where my area of expertise is. But when leaders created that opportunity, they started with vocal praise, called an employee in and said, hey, John, I just want you to know that we appreciate you. We value you. We need you in this company. And I just, I got to know like what I can do to keep you here. I also want to know what's getting in the way of your success. You know, is it the pay? Is it the schedule? And then what can I do as your manager to help get you there? 99.9% of all employees are never asked those three questions. 99.9% .9 of all marriages are never asked those questions between spouses. We just assume, or we think that we're killing it, or we're doing great, or nah, she'll let me know if something's wrong. Trust me, she'll let me know. <laughs> but what if you asked? What if you got a status check? And again, everyone's asking the part, our question, let me know when it gets to the part about me. So create a moment. Ask one of the questions. Ask all three. See what happens. See uh, how stronger you become because you chose to listen and check in on what matters to them. I think it's important to know that most people probably won't ask those questions. Right. Like, like just, just that, that sense, like I, like I wrote them all down, um, you know, and, and I'll figure out where in my life I need to ask these questions, but, but I could see that like that first one, right? Like, what do I do to keep you here? If, if you're in marital trouble, that's a tough one, right? Like that's, that's got to make the, the butterflies go in the tummy and, uh, and really stress you out. So, so, you know, how do you, how do you coach someone or, or mentor someone to getting out of that, getting into that first step. And I know we would simply just say, hey, just go do it. But we know that that's not, these aren't easy questions. These aren't easy to do. So how would you advise someone to, to take in that first step or, or what, what they need to do to take that first step? Well, if we're talking specifically in like relationships and in a, a marital situation, again, everybody wants to be seen in their marriage. They want to be heard. They want to be understood. But also they want to know that you're with them. I'm with you. I'm on your same team. And again, it's really hard because every marriage is different. Every situation is different. And I, a lot of people hurt people because they're hurt. hurt I'm going to make your life. Right? Yep. I'm going to make your life miserable because you've made my life miserable. And there has to be a give. There has to be this, this drive to go, okay, win, 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 right? Something that Keller Williams always talks about. Something that Diana Kay always taught. It's win, win or no deal. I got to make this a win, win in every situation. Okay. I mean, one, I've started biking a ton. I love to bike. I'm gone for two, three hours to go do that. If it doesn't work with my wife, if we don't, if we talk about that and she's like, no, I need you here. Cause I've got this, then that's not a win for her. It's gotta be a win for me. It's gotta be a win for her, but we've created this kind of dynamic that she's also got to try to help make it a win for me as well. So this, this, this ultimate goal of, okay, do we want to get better? Do we want to be for each other? If there is that common goal, if there is that common drive, then you've got something to work with. But I think we have to kind of figure that out. And if we're both invested and we're willing to make that happen, it's the small, consistently thing. It's the small, consistent things done over a long period of time. I think that's one thing in my marriage that I have learned. I think it's an, a, a common trend in relationships. It's the small things that we do consistently over a long period of time that creates trust uh, or distrust. <laughs> yeah. The other way, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, what are those small things that you're consistently doing that 
is increasing trust. Are we looking at our relationships like a fireplace? Are you the constantly the person that's like, give me heat, then I'll give you wood? You know, do what I need you to do, show up on time, I need you to do, like, give me those results, then I'll listen more, then I'll do the dishes, then I'll maybe help out around the house. Instead, of, we, we've, got, we've got to make that, I talk to a lot of leaders and I'm like, I tell them all, you're the leader, you're the leader, you're the leader, it starts with you. And I think the same thing happens in a marriage, it's always gonna start with you. You gotta start, you gotta start, you gotta make those moments of connection, you gotta make that, those deposits of trust. And in doing so, you create the opportunity and the foundation of a win-win situation where people go, all right, you're with me. That's awesome. So, so for anyone wondering, and, and you mentioned Undercover Millennial, um, great, great thing that you're doing. I don't know if it's, it's if you'd use it as a show or anything like that, but um, my understanding is you're coming in as that young person into an organization to try to help figure out what they're doing wrong. Is, is that sort of a, a surmise of, of what it is you do with that? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like Undercover Boss without the makeup. Yeah. And I would go in as, as a millennial, that's, I am a millennial by age. And I was young enough to go into these organizations as someone who was looking for a job. And the employees would tell me everything, everything. I'd go up and say, hey, I'm just thinking about working here. What's it like? And I'd hear the good, the bad, what, what they loved, what they didn't love. And the goal was to hear the truth. It, I wasn't a survey. I wasn't a one-on-one -on -one management meeting. I was just another millennial, a potential hire. And in doing so, we've created the most real and authentic data behind the magic of what kept somebody in a location. Because that was what was cool. It wasn't when I would go in and say, hey, what's it like? And they'd, ah, oh, yeah, it sucks here. I hate my manager, can't stand this. Like that, that happened all the time. That wasn't the magic. The magic is when I would go up to an employee and say, what's it like to work here? And they would respond with, I love it here. I love my job. I love, oh my gosh, my manager, Susie. You gotta meet, you gotta meet Susie. But you should apply. Our team, like it's off the charts amazing. We feel a purpose, passion. It's a great place to work. And then I'd go to the next employee and they would say the same thing. And the next employee, same thing. Why? You know, what were those great leaders doing to create organizations where people didn't just survive at work? They actually thrived. Well, that is so different from from undercover boss right and and not to you know i'm not i'm gonna it's probably some legal stuff i gotta be careful of with this but um you know most most of these things are trying to find the negative the problems the, the this and that and, and you're trying to find the good the the what's changing organizations how can you be better leaders how can you use that data and help other people in your world yeah that's a really unique way to live your life and you know, were you always like that? Or did that kind of happen organically? Like, how did you find this side of your passion for, for helping and, and being there? And yeah, <laughs> yeah, great question. I literally just kind of fell into it. I, I was in New York City, I was a part of a mastermind group. We were with other CEOs and business leaders. And we were talking about, you know, what they've done to, to grow and what's been successful for them. And one of the guys we met with owned a sporting good retail chain store in Manhattan. And we're talking about his business and how they've had to adapt and die and, or, or how they had to adapt or they were going to die. They had to constantly evolve. And then I asked him just out of curiosity, because we're in the store. I see all the employees. And I said, so what about your management style? What about when it comes to people? Have you felt the need to change? And he said, no, mm -mm, no need. 
He said, the way I manage today is the same way I managed 20 years ago. And I get results. Wow, it was a pretty bold statement. And I remember, again, I looked around, saw all of his employees. I thanked the guy for his time. We had 45 minutes to kill until we needed to be to the next place. I had nothing else better to do. So I walked up to the first employee I saw. And granted, I looked like this, how I do today. I had a backwards hat on, normal clothes. And I walked up and I just said, hey, I'm just curious. Um, what's it like to work here? And the employee got really quiet. Started to look around. It felt like an illegal drug exchange. And he said, he said, dude, I can't stand it here. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking? He was like, dude, I, 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 dude, we're all numbers, man. Every one of us, we're all cogs in a wheel. And uh, yeah, man, it's, it's just a job, dude. And I was like, so then why are you still working here? And he said, oh, I've already applied to three other places. As soon as I get a chance, I'm, I'm out. And I remember, like, that was a moment. But I also remember, I, I was like, well, maybe he's just having a bad day, <laughs> right? So I went and asked another employee. And another, and another. And in the end of the 45 minutes that I had, I interviewed six of his team members. And at the end of those six conversations, five out of the six of his employees said they would not be working for this guy in his store in less than three and a half months. They were all, they were all ready to bounce. 90% of his workforce, he had no clue. He thought everything he was doing was rocking. And he also had this mentality of easy come, easy go. And the, the, the paper cut of, of, of turnover, right? And sometimes even in our marriages or our families, it's like, ah, you know, it's, my marriage isn't perfect, but it's fine. You know, you almost have a roommate more than a spouse. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you know, we just, we, we tolerate each other. It's fine. We, we stay together for the kids. And I saw the same mentality in leadership. Yeah, you just, you know, the employees are here. It's, they, they leave eventually, but we've hired, it's just a constant, but then there were the leaders that were like, no, 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 no. I realized that I can save thousands of dollars. I realized that I can influence lives. I realized that I'm not just selling a product, but I'm, I've got a team, I've got an organization. And when my people are empowered, that's gonna create greater productivity. That's gonna help us push our product. I, I'm gonna create an opportunity where people actually don't just love their job, but they actually love who they are while they're at their job. You know, do, yeah, do you love your marriage, but does your spouse love who she is while she's in your marriage? Like, like things to really think about here because I saw it and that was what triggered it. And that was the moment, that was the day that started the Undercover Millennial Program. I realized because of my age and this environment that I created, people could speak their truth. And I started getting booked all over the place, all over the world by companies to come in and to do this work from great leaders, good companies that wanted to know the truth. It surveyed people, nobody answers honestly on surveys. They always just write, nah, safe answer, just in case, because you say it's anonymous, mm, I'm, I'm, I'm playing this safe, I don't want to get fired, right? But, but again, they would tell me, and sometimes we recorded it, sometimes we didn't, we would always blur out people's faces. The goal was to keep everything private. The goal was never to figure out who needed to be fired. The goal is to figure out what's really working and what's not. And how do we, how do we create a better, a better place where, where people love their jobs? How do we do that? And so it's been an amazing thing to be a part of. And that's, that triggered the book. And we wrote the book. I called it, I Love It Here, How Great Leaders Create Organizations Their People Never Want to Leave. And it's the culmination of the four and a half years of research 
uh, 10,000 employees that we have interviewed undercover and the magic behind what great leaders were doing to create loyalty that lasted. That's huge. That's huge. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, we've got a couple minutes left. And I usually say if there's anything, you know, mic drop moment, anything huge that you kind of, you've given us so much incredible information today already, but is there was anything that you wanted to make sure our listeners heard today? And now's the time to, to kind of hit us with that. Um, what do you got for us? Something that was really interesting, and I've been a, a self-employed for, for quite a while now, and there's this pursuit in something that I think is, is worth thinking about. When I was in college, I was shared uh, a quote by Oscar Wilde from a great mentor. And the quote says this, to live is the rarest thing in the world for most people merely exist. And that is all. Like if we think about that for a minute, to really live, most people just exist. Every day, nine to five, I'm doing the same thing, day in, day out, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. You can get caught up in this in sales very easily, right? New month, new quota. And we just, we're in this hamster wheel, this constant grind. And for some people that's living for them. Awesome, you, you've, you found it. But for a lot of people, they exist. You look at stats on current, uh, the love of, of the work they do, and it's fairly low. We're at 80, 80 to 88% of, of, of Americans that hate their job. They're stressed, they're tired, they don't feel fulfilled by their work. Mark Twain, I don't know if Mark Twain ever really said it, but everybody attributes this to Mark Twain. He said, there's two important days in a person's life, the day you're born and then the day you figure out why. And for me, I remember I chased the money. I got really focused on the money in college. I was like, hey, I gotta get the job, the 401k, the benefits, I gotta have stability. And I ended up getting into a, a world of, of in a profession that was a great job, high paying. It was in the medical world. Uh, it was in sales. And every day I was just existing. And I remember I sat down with two buddies and I said, wouldn't it be crazy if you could find a job that allowed you to do three things? Number one was passion. Number two was provide. And three was purpose. What if you could find a job that pulled on your heartstrings? Like that really every day you felt like you were doing something that you loved. Like if you had three hours on a Saturday, like it would be involved in some way, shape or form with this. Like you would enjoy doing this. It's something at the end of doing it, you don't feel tired, but you feel fulfilled. And, and what if, what if it could also provide for you in a way that was sufficient for you? Doesn't mean you have to have five cars on the hill with seven Ferraris. Doesn't also mean you have to be in a small little teeny apartment living paycheck to paycheck. It's different for everybody. There is no right answer. The key is, can it provide in a way that's sufficient for you? And third, what if it contributed to your purpose in life? Meaning that when you did it, you felt like you were doing something bigger than yourself, that you could be significant in the world, not just successful. And I posed this to my two buddies and they both said, I don't think that exists. <laughs> They're like, ah, just, I mean, look at a school teacher, right? Passion, purpose, but every summer they're looking for another job so they can make ends meet. Or look at, you know, a doctor, tons of money, but they're stressed out. They got malpractice issues, constant dictation. They never see their families. They're like, I, what you're asking for is so rare. And, that, and then it triggered that quote by Oscar Wilde, to live is the rarest thing in the world. 
for most people merely exist. And two weeks after that conversation, I quit my job. I left that world and the day I quit my job was the day I started living. And it was in the pursuit of those three Ps. And we can find those three Ps in our lives in many different industries and occupations. And I write about those in the last chapter of my book because it was beautiful to see how great leaders were creating that for their, their, their employees. It was great to see how husbands and wives and partners created that for their families where people felt like they could, they could live. I'm living here. I'm not just existing. I, I feel seen. I feel heard. I know that you're with me. Uh, it is rare. Yeah. But I think that is what makes it the most treasured and beautiful thing in the world. Choose to live. Don't just choose to exist. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. How do we, um, for, for those that are listening that want to track you down, email, Instagram, like where do you like to connect with people? Because I know you, you love connecting. Yeah, Instagram's awesome. Instagram's perfect. I'm on, I, I, I love to connect with people uh, on Instagram. Uh, the website is also a great place, clintpulver.com. And uh, yeah, those are perfect. And, and where do we get the book? Is it out? Is it uh, on shelves? Like, where do we go to get the book? Yeah, great question. It's on Amazon. Amazon's the best place. Amazon Prime. Uh, just type in, I love it here. How great leaders create organizations that people never want to leave. And you can find it there. Thank you so much, Clint. I appreciate you. And guys, we're the Real Estate Hustle Podcast. A little bit, little bit surprised today. And, and thank you so much. We are so grateful to have you on our show. Yeah, it's been an honor, dude. Thank you.